as we go to Titus chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn there. If not, no stress. We've got uh, most of the verses on the screen for you today. And uh, we're going to pick up, this is going to be an interesting Christmas service for you. If, if you don't normally come to Calvary Chapel, um, and maybe most of your Christmas services are like a read-through of the account of the birth of Jesus, which is awesome. Um, we are in the book of Titus right now, and uh, on Sunday mornings, and this sentence stuck out to me for our message today as we ponder Jesus' coming to earth. And uh, it's actually, starting halfway down on the slide there, at the right-hand side, you see the word in, and that's, that's where we're going to start. It's a big, long, run-on sentence, so we've got to start in the middle of this long sentence, if you'll bear with me, where it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Will you guys pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for the hope of eternal life. As we have little kids in here with us today, we have babies. And to know that because of our sin, even these little innocent looking beautiful ones, they're going to meet an end of death. A death that is caused by our sin and their sin. But God... Because of God, because of the plan of redemption through his son, Christ Jesus, not only can these little ones have the hope of eternal life, but even the oldest in this room and the richest and the poorest and, the, and those that seem to have status to those that, that have none, we have the hope of eternal life. And so God, would you just touch our hearts today to prepare for that as we celebrate Christmas this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you'll notice that this hope of eternal life was promised by God before time began. It's something that we call prophecy. Prophecy. A, a prophecy is, in a sense, a promise of God that he foretells something that's going to happen. Uh, in the New Testament, prophecy is comfort and encouragement and exhortation towards men. And in the Old Testament, we see it more of a foretelling of future events, which, if you're following God, is always comfort, and it's always encouragement. Now, there's something incredible about the prophecies in the Scripture. The prophecies in the Bible, when you study them, there's something that prove that God is real. And as you follow that farther along, they prove that Jesus is God. And they prove that everything that Jesus says is true for us today. There was a mathematician who was a professor at Westmont College. His name's Peter Stoner. Very well respected as being uh, an intelligent man uh, and an, an astronomer. Uh, and he took a, a group of his extracurricular students, and they did a study on what are the odds that, that one man could fulfill all the prophecies of Jesus in the Bible. And those odds were absolutely astounding. I'm not a math guy. You know, I can barely count to 20 on my fingers and toes, you know. Uh, but my wife, she's a math gal. So she appreciates it even more than I do. 
But what Peter Stoner discovered was not only were the odds of one man fulfilling all the messianic prophecies in the Bible absolutely astounding, but for one man to fulfill just eight prophecies of the Messiah is still astounding. So for one man, him and his students discovered, for one man to fulfill eight prophecies of the Messiah, let alone the 300 prophecies of the Messiah, it would be the odds of one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, a lot of you, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean much to me, so I had to look it up. Okay. And what that means is it would be one in 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Okay. For one man to fulfill just eight prophecies, let alone the uh, 300 prophecies of the Savior, would be one in 10 with 17 zeros behind it. And you know what's incredible? Is those prophecies have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that astounding? And so to try to put it in perspective for us, Peter Stoner said, imagine the state of Texas, which is, I think, the biggest state in America, if I'm right. I do know geography, okay? <laughs> Alaska, sorry, I don't. But let's be honest, Alaska, a little late in the game, right? Okay. <laughs> then imagine Alaska for this story, would you? Okay. <laughs> Cover the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, all right? Mark one silver dollar with a red X on it and toss it in there. Then take a man with a blindfold on airdrop him into the state of Texas and say, hey, you get one chance, pick the red, the red cross dollar. That would be the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies. You know what's incredible? He done did it, all right? That's astounding. And I would hope as you would come here today, we've got many Christians in this room, we've got many followers of Jesus, but if you haven't come to that place of being an all-out follower of Jesus, I hope that God's Spirit would help you be a reasonable inquirer here today. Because the text in Titus tells us that there is a hope of eternal life, living forever and ever and ever. I mean, that is the stuff of legends. That is the stuff of Indiana Jones. You know, that is the stuff that, that we hope and strive for, providing that it's a life worth living. Am I right? The hope of eternal life was promised by a God who is incapable of lying. Well, can't God do everything? Well, if you grew up answering the Bible questions as a kid, God can do everything that's in his holy will. So God can't lie. God who is incapable of lying has promised eternal life. And he promised it before time began, before there was a world. You know, for me to make a promise, I've got to be very calculated. What are the odds that this would work for me? And I know, I know the things of the world environment around me that would make this. Is this a promise I can keep? Well, God made these promises before the world around him was even formulated. He foreknew it. And so he made these promises of a Savior before he first said, let there be light. 
As you read later on in the book of Titus, Titus was living in a place called Crete. It was a very corrupt place. It was a place actually not so far removed from like Sodom and Gomorrah and not so far removed from the good old U.S. of A. in many ways. All right. But later on in chapter one, Paul says, your own Cretan people have said, Cretan are always liars. They're just known to always be liars. And when we think of our politicians and our leaders so often, it's, they're just always liars. Who can trust these, these people up there that they're just trying to please man? Although we have a, a nice commissioner in the building today. It's not you at all. We know Brian Barney. We love him. Not, love you, bro. He knows it. He knows it. Holy kiss to you, man. All right. A little shout out to our uh, local government. Never liars at all. Okay. So the Cretans are always liars. Contrast that with God who never lies and a promise for eternal life, which was since the beginning of the world, since before the foundations of the world. And then it says it was manifest in due time. In just the right time, these things came about. Now, can I just give you a couple of these prophecies, a couple of these prophecies to just kind of wet your whistle a little bit for what I'm talking about? Go back to Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve are just found out. And God begins to speak curses over the world, over man, over woman, and over the serpent. And yet, God wasn't caught by surprise with this disobedient act in the garden. He already has a plan to save them out of their sin. And he speaks in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 to the devil, and he says, out of this woman, rather, let me do a direct quote since we've got it, I will put enmity between you, the devil, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so right after the fall of Adam and Eve, right in the garden, God says, I've got a plan to crush you. In fact, the language speaks, he will crush your head, and you'll bruise his heel. So very, from the very beginning, I've got a plan to save you out of your sin. And it's going to be from the seed of this woman. As you keep reading the Bible, you see that that seed, that child, is the Messiah. It's a prophecy of Jesus. In fact, this verse is called the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. It's the first time in the Bible you read of the gospel. God's got a plan to save. And he will crush Satan's head in the midst of it. But in the, in the midst, that seed, that son will be bruised. And we all know where that took place. Amen. At the cross of Calvary. As you keep reading through the book of Genesis, you see that that son will come through the line of Abraham. And he will be a blessing to the whole world. More prophecies come from that. Not only will he come from the line of Abraham, he'll come from the line of Isaac. He'll come from the line out of Isaac's children, 12 sons. There's a specific son that he'll come through out of the tribe of Judah. As you keep reading through these, uh, the Old Testament, you read not only out of the tribe of Judah will a branch spring forth, but it will come out of the tribe of Jesse and out of the family of Jesse. Gotta love that name, don't you? Jesse. Uh, you know, Jesse out of the, uh, a branch will come out of Jesse and he will have a rulership that will never end. Funnel that down a little more and you see that the prophecy is that it'll come through Jesse's son, David. Out of all of his sons, 
the son David will become king. He's, he was the littlest, piddliest one, and yet he was made the king of Israel. And out of David's line, and you read about it in the genealogies of both Matthew and Luke, there came a man named Jesus. So think about just those prophecies. It'll come from a woman. There will be a seed who will crush the devil's head. Okay, that's pretty, pretty wide though, right? I mean, anyone here not come from the seed of Eve? Right? Some of you, I'm looking at you. I don't know about you. Okay. So you got through the seed of Eve and then keep going on down. I think there was a, a little bit of a, a Noah experiment that happened where it kind of thinned the herd a little bit and then came back out again. But then we've got, okay, so Abraham, all right? Oh, then, then how about Isaac? How about Jacob? How about Judah? How about Jesse? How about David? So you following me? It's like getting a little thin to win here, am I right? Some of your hairline's in the room, a little thin to win. Okay, anyways, it's getting thinner, probabilities, right? Then as you keep reading, you go into the book of Isaiah some 800 years before Jesus ever came on the scene, and it was prophesied that a virgin would conceive. In fact, the language is, you want a sign? Here's your sign, okay? Here's your sign. A virgin will conceive and bring forth a child, and we will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, okay? Okay, so you've got, okay, boom, 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 okay, now, so it's out of the tribe of, out of the line of David, okay, and then out of all of those people, there's got to be a virgin that's going to be having a baby, so that kind of, I mean, you could have just started with that, that kind of would have, <laughs> okay, so it's this person, right? 800 years before Jesus, a, a virgin, will conceive and bear a child. That doesn't happen very often. There's a lot of excuses and a lot of stories out there that, that that's what happened, but it really only happened once. Good old, good old Mary, all right? Mary, a servant of the Lord, we read last week. So then you have, it narrowed down a little more. In the book of Micah, it says, out of you, Bethlehem, you'll be blessed, you'll be greater than all other cities, and the prophecy is that a child will come out of you, Bethlehem, that will save the world. So a virgin giving birth in the town of Bethlehem. All of these prophecies 800 years before Jesus. And so I hope that you're just beginning to, the Lord is getting the wheels in motion for you. That God has a plan for everlasting life. And he who can never lie has promised He's pinky sweared it. He did the old, you can take it to the bank. And I'm going to prove that my promise is true from the beginning of time. I will eventually manifest it. I will bring it to happen. Uh, let me give you a couple of translations here. The New Living Translation says that it was, it's just at the right time that God caused this to happen. One translation says, in God's own time. Maybe you're an NIV reader. At the appointed season, this will manifest. And one paraphrase says, when the time was ripe, God went public with his truth. You know, when you're looking from God's perspective and you see the whole timeline of human history, you know when the right time is. In fact, the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 26, says that God has determined 
our pre-appointed times and boundaries and our dwellings. Do you ever feel like you were born in the wrong era? I think I would have been good, like, in the World War II generation, the, the greatest generation, like, just pre-World War II. You know, when guys are still riding horses down the street in town, you know, and, you know, they're dressing kind of nice, and they're treating ladies with respect and all of that stuff. You know, I kind of like that era. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you do, too. We're in Prineville. I think we all are there. But <laughs> you kids are like, I'm more of a Call of Duty 3 guy, like, futuristic flying men and all of that kind of weird stuff. It's like, that's not right. Okay. But God, who sees it all, says, you know what? I'm putting you where you're at for a purpose. So I'm going to make you live in Prineville, Oregon in 2018, going on 2019. And you, I've got you where I want you, if you know what I'm saying, all right? And in Acts chapter 17, it says he's put you where he wants you so that you would seek the Lord in hopes that you might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So when you think, I'm a better World War II guy, I don't think you would have sought for the Lord in that age. I don't think it would have been the right time for you there. You're a 2018 guy and gal, and he's put you here so that all of the surrounding circumstances would be something that he would use to drive you towards him. Isn't that incredible? In due time, Romans tells us, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, forgive me that this is a bit of a trampoline or a diving board text for me this morning. Because I'm going to use it to dive into Galatians 4.4 very quickly. Okay, I'm reading my audience. All right, The little ones are doing fine. It's some of you older ones that are like... <laughs> Just uncomfortable, that's all. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So just very quickly with me, will you help me help ask the, the great investigative questions? Who, what, when, why, where, and how? All right. So in our cast of characters in Galatians 4, 4, great Christmas verse, by the way, we've got God, we've got a son, We've got a woman, and we got a bunch of sinners, okay? When did this take place? When the fullness of the time had come. When the fullness of the time had come. What happened? God sent forth his son. He sent forth his own son. And the language in the Greek speaks that God sent forth his son from himself. Paul wants us to know that Jesus had a beginning before Bethlehem. He's an uncreated being. He was sent forth from heaven, from heaven to earth. And without ceasing to be what he was, which was God, he became what he was not, which is a man. And it's at that crazy Christmas moment, which probably wasn't in December, just so you know. We can sing happy birthday, Jesus, and then we can sing it every month. That's what's awesome about it. Oh, where's your birthday? You know, and he loves it, right? Because we're just stoked that he came. But it's in that crazy birthday moment that what theologians call the hypostatic union took place. Can you say that with me? Hypostatic union. Great name for a band if you're ever in one, okay? We're in hypostatic union, man, okay? 
And what it speaks of is when God became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that awesome? At just the right time, God sent forth his son. Well, how's that even possible? Well, he's born of a woman like the rest of us. But Luke tells us in chapter 1 how it happened. That the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary, and in a very holy, pure way, she would be with child. So God sent forth his son. He was born of a woman. Martin Luther says there's no doubt Paul has Mary in mind when he's writing this. Born of a woman. Born under the law. Why would he be born under the law? So that he could fulfill the law for a bunch of us sinners who could never fulfill the law. On our best day, Jesus fulfilled the law. It's an incredible, incredible truth for us as we go into Christmas. That at just the right time, if you hop back to the top of verse 4 there, it's at, it was at the fullness of the time that this happened. It was when history reached a crescendo. Anyone here ever in band at any point of your life? You know, played, I played the sax. If you're wondering how I got so cool, got a little jazz in me, okay? And you learn in band of a thing called a crescendo, and it's at the bottom of the music, and it looks like an alligator mouth in a sense, you know? And if you're supposed to get quieter or louder, you just read the, the direction of the triangle. And I got some kids like, you know it, brother, preach it. I can understand this, alligator mouths, okay? And when you're supposed to get loud, boy, that, that alligator mouth is wide open, you know, all right? That's the Old Testament for you. You're reading the Old Testament, Genesis, the fall, okay? By the time you're in the prophets, in the book of Isaiah, and in the book of Micah, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, right? Even through 400 years of silence, that crescendo is getting bigger and bigger until finally God sent forth his son. It was the crest of the wave. It was time to surf. And God knew it was the right time. Everything from human beings knew that they could never keep the law. The prophets had died out. It had been 400 years of silence. Roman peace was ruling the world. And, and because of that, the message of the gospel could get to anywhere in the world because of the highway system in the, in the system that Rome had had. It was at just the right time. That God forth, sent forth his son, born of a woman who happened to be a virgin, born under the law so that he could keep it for us who never could. And so as we celebrate Christmas, guys, it is just, I, I feel like every year, I'm just not even prepared for it. That's why it's good we can celebrate it every day, right? Every Bible verse is a Christmas verse. Every day is a Christmas day, not to be dumb, but it is. We need to prepare our hearts to celebrate and rejoice in the hypostatic union. That God draped himself in flesh and came and lived among his creation. And we were not nice to our creator. We rebelled against him. We spit in his face. We plotted for ways to murder him. And eventually our plot came through. He who was innocent was murdered on a Roman cross so that we who were not innocent could live forever with him. 
You guys want to hear a quick Christmas Eve testimony? I was just online last night, and, and I'm Facebook friends uh, with a guy named Wally Riziki, okay? And I, uh, it's a long story, but the Mapes, this is a friend of Stephanie Mapes' brother. And back in high school, her brother and, and Wally were in the state championship uh, in California uh, with their football teams. And I believe the weather was so bad that by the end of the tied game, you know, before they, before they went into overtime again, they just, both teams just decided by their team captains to call it a draw. And they just stopped. Well, some 20 years later, they were like, that was kind of lame that we called that a draw. Let's replay the game with the alums, man. And so they did it. So all these high school football players, 20 years later, just start training. And Wally is a, is a, is a I don't know, I wouldn't say movie producer, but he's really good with film. And he documents the whole thing. So he's interviewing football players as they're getting ready and they're getting the chub gone, you know, and they're getting in shape. And they're, you know? They're doing all that, and, and he, he, he records this incredible football game, and I'm like, man, I got I to gotta find more about this guy, and I start following him on Facebook, and really enjoy what he posts. Probably enjoyed last night's post the most. Post the most, okay. <laughs> all right. Let's throw that picture up that I've got. Listen to what he posted. to ruin it. <laughs> it's all going to be on me. The Lord brought Justin Bieber story full circle a few days ago. September 2015, look at the bottom right there. I unexpectedly run into the Biebs at midnight at a gas station. He sees my football. We start playing catch. He asks me if I know Jesus. I tell him I'm a Muslim. He says, cool, then invites me to his Bible study. I'm thinking he didn't hear me, so I say, I'm a Muslim again. He says, that's cool, and you're still invited. I'm a little confused. I really want to say yes, but I don't say yes because I don't want to fake it. I don't want to pretend like I'm interested in his religion just to kick it with him. I said, let me think about it. He said, cool. I said, let's take a pit because no one will believe me. He said, cool. Then we went our separate ways. December 2018. For the first time, I was finally able to tell him in person what happened after that fateful night. Football emoji. His invitation stayed on my mind for weeks. I was tempted to go but knew I'd only be going to hang with Justin. I thought, what if there's a bigger purpose in meeting him, in his invitation? I already believed in miracles and faith. What if I'm supposed to learn more about Jesus? I thought if I'm a real Muslim, then learning about the Bible shouldn't make me so uncomfortable. So I decided I'd go to church, but not Bieber's church. I knew my ego was still excited about possibly being his friend. So I went where nobody knew me. I didn't want any pressure from my ego or from anyone else. I walked into Bel Air Prez on October 11th, 2015, and sat in the front row. Yes, with my football. Twelve weeks later, I hadn't missed a sermon. 
as unexpectedly as I had met the Biebs, over the next three months, I unexpectedly came to know Jesus in a whole new way. On Christmas Eve 2015, I declared Jesus Christ my Savior and became a Christian. The look on his face when I told him, like Christmas had just come early, hugged me like a long-lost relative meeting for the first time. I suppose, in a way, we are. Thank you, Jesus. Justin Bieber, thank you for being so bold that night three years ago. You're an example of humility and kindness. May the Lord continue to bless you. I'll have the worship team come on up. Man, how powerful it is when we just cross that threshold into that uncomfortable realm and just ask people if they know Jesus. Just ask people if they've heard about Jesus and if we can tell them about Jesus. Had that happen a couple weeks ago on a, on a Thursday. I had a man just walk into my life and while he had everything the world could offer him, he realized he had nothing. And I was able to share with him and pray with him. But the moment finally had to come where I had to just say, hey, who's Jesus to you? And it's been amazing that he came here last Sunday and sat in the back row. And I've gotten to talk with him on the phone a couple times this week. He's very excited to come be a part of things. And uh, I believe that he is being called by the Lord, if not already, to come to know Jesus. And I would ask, what about yourself here today? Who's Jesus to you? I'm telling you, he's not just a dude that lived. He's not just a guru or a mystic. He's a guy that created the world. He's the God-man Jesus. And at just the right time, at the crescendo of human history, at the crest of the wave, he came to earth to do what you could never do, and that is be obedient to God. He came to conquer sin and to conquer death and to die himself in the process. And as we close in worship and in song today, the good news is he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead on the third day. Easter's kind of like his second birthday, you know. He rose from the dead so that anyone who would believe in him would rise from the dead also.